0: This is the Outrage Machine. to stop, and conversation is the first step. machine today and it's a heavy one so if you haven't listened to the first episode please do that first and go into this with the understanding that I am struggling with this too okay a big part of this series is challenging the listener and I felt it was only appropriate to kick off the series by challenging myself. We're talking about trans activism today. And this is an issue that I personally have been sucked into the outrage machine by. And I personally would benefit from trying to unpack it and understand it. So I know that this is a sensitive issue for a lot of people. Please understand that... We're coming into it to try and diffuse the situation a little bit, because as you'll discover throughout the conversation, it, it's not sustainable. The The things, the ideas on the table, the direction we're heading is is a dangerous one, and I think we all need to take a step back and really think about where we are and who we are and who we want to be. Um. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. That's uh, what we're getting into today. Uh, There was an audio issue, as happens often on Mindwave. Uh, Knob Goblin, my wonderful co-host Josh, came in and EQ'd it and de-essed it and made it as nice as it can possibly sound. So thank you, Joshua. We didn't have a great raw file to work with. Um, And that was nobody's fault. It's just a a technical thing on the show that happens every once in a while. But uh, we made it sound as good as possible. So thank you to Josh for that. Uh, Anyway, I feel like that's a sufficient uh, intro forward slash heavy air quotes trigger warning. Uh, Yeah, understand that uh, we're coming at this from the right place here and we're not trying to piss people off we're trying to actually do the opposite so um you know if you want to join this particular conversation this is not this is the first uh again it's a challenge but it's not going to be the last um i do have other people on the list to try and move through some of this stuff with um so please keep that in mind and without further ado, here is my conversation with evolutionary biologist Colin Wright, part two of the Outrage Machine series. Welcome back to MindWave. This is Jenner, and we are kicking off the Outrage Machine series. My guest today is an evolutionary biologist of some note, Colin Wright. Thank you very much for coming on the show and making the time to hang out with me this morning.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: It is it is a pleasure. So, some people may be aware of who you are, You're a somewhat controversial figure. But let's kind of start by digging into your work because you actually Study social behavior, but not in in a way that most people might assume. So maybe break down what what exactly it is you do academically, and then we'll we'll save the pitch for <laughs> pitch works for later. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah so I guess m- most people probably don't know, since they they come to me on on Twitter, and I usually talk a lot about you know trans and gender issues and things like that. But I actually am my own my own scientist, and the work that I do has nothing to do uh, remotely with that or with humans at all. Uh, so I study uh, collective behavior in social arthropods so many uh, mainly ants bees wasps um, etc I, I did some work with social spiders as well um, and what I do is I look at collective personalities so uh, and also personality on the individual level so you can define animal personalities or personalities in general as just basically like a consistent differences between individuals and their behavior that persist over time and in different contexts. Uh, and so a lot of times people had studied this at the individual level, but what I do is I sort of apply this to uh, entire groups as well. So just as no single individual behaves the same way, it's also true that no two group of individuals behave way. Um, and the behavioral composition, the personality composition of groups themselves is gonna uh, affect the way entire groups behave. And so I basically just measure these group level differences in behavior how they come about how they're maintained and how they interact with their environment um, and lead to better um, survival outcomes reproduction etc
0: that is very cool and uh, i had in in my notes very very early on when i started the show because i'm i'm not a professional i'm not an interviewer or anything by any stretch of the imagination i'm just too much of a nerd not to dig into this stuff and I have the ability to do it. So, but very, very early on, I had, um, professor Kevin Fulta from university of Florida on Florida on to talk about his work. He works, um, in plant sex basically, but he's an online ad- advocate for, um, biotechnology he's very outspoken, uh, in support of the technology for the developing world, uh, and our own, you know, country obviously. But, um, he's had a podcast forever and i i had this at the at the top like hey break down who it is what you're doing and he answered the more important question which is why and that really stuck with me i i think that's like that's like a lifelong lesson that that he taught me there that like why really is the more important question so why mm-hmm. why this particular this particular study because it is really fascinating. But yeah. what, what about it stands out to you is.
1: So I guess a lot hmm. of my initial interest um, stemmed from interest in, I guess um, kind of human behaviors and how complex our societies are. Uh, and it's kind of hard to get a beat on just how, um, how complex systems work, how, how, how systems sort of come together and then emergent properties of those systems Um, So we usually have a lot of complexity that's almost impossible to tease apart at the individual level. You add, you know, if you look at a single individual, you can usually study these individuals in in isolation and you can see their behavior. And it's kind of really easy to see what they're doing to, to, um, I guess, increase their fitness and have more more offspring and and survive better. But when you start adding individuals, you know, one at a time, you have a dyad and their their interactions are even more complex, but you can still kind of measure them. Pretty well and get an idea what they're doing, but when you start leveling up uh, and adding, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands, and some, sometimes hundreds of thousands of individuals and multiple queens, you just get these enormously complex systems uh, that are very hard to tease apart. And so, uh, what my research does is basically try to approach this and try to try to, I guess, get this information, get this all this data in in, in usable chunks. So we use this in, in personality compositions. Um, just basically to see how, um, how these complex systems can arise and how they're maintained. Uh, we have some applications for, um, say, honeybees, for instance. There's colony collapse that's going around right now, mm-hmm. and we're not exactly sure why that's going on. Um, one idea is that the behavioral composition of the groups is, is influencing this, and if this can be determined by the, the personality of the queens, then we might be able to do some selection on queens, for instance. So a lot of my work with, with wasps is looking at how queen behavior influences colony behavior and survival um, and things like that. So ultimately, I think it's just sort of trying to learn how complex systems tick and how we can sort of try to distill the complexity into some, some manageable ways that we can we can kind of, um, I guess, harness the complexity and understand it better. Uh, I guess human societies are super complex and almost every animal system you go to is complex uh so we i we use a sort of the animal personality framework paradigm to investigate these um but that's not necessarily it's the only way you can go about it
0: yeah absolutely uh you know human human studies i i think i almost Consider it a pseudoscience, the kind of social, <laughs> social studies in humans, because it is so incredibly complex. And like the data sets, you can't get a large enough, a representative sample size of humans. You're relying on things like self-reporting and faulty memory and. Mm-hmm. Humans are, are just a nightmare to study, I think, as an animal. So having some kind of like analog <laughs> within the animal kingdom that's a, a simpler system yet still has that incredibly complex, you know, it's a different kind of of cooperation model certainly than, than humans use. It brings in that whole kind of hive mind thing with yeah. ants and wasps um but yeah be, it, super it, it, super f- fucking fascinating stuff to study yeah
1: it'd also be impossible to do with the experiments we're doing on on humans given the ethics involved in the long generation time so we, we t- tend to look at arthropods just because a lot of times these things are only living for one year and their colonies you know start from scratch every year as well and so you can kind of just get these multiple generations and you can see you can you can track them through time you can do quick and dirty experiments and find out uh, what makes these colonies tick where Whereas with humans, it's uh, nearly impossible to
0: do. Yeah, and, and you, your research focuses on on like stressors, right? Like fear and and
1: yeah, that's sort of. So I guess my research takes two two avenues. One of them uh, is looking at how queen personality will influence the collective behavior of their entire groups. Um, so a lot of previous research had just sort of looked at groups as they sort of approach them and find them in nature, but you have really difficulties when you're when you're trying to study. The personality of groups as you find them in nature, because uh, they're within a, um, an environmental context as well. It could be uh, this is a, a hotter area, or there's predators present or absent, um, and so you know it's hard to know if the, if the personalities these groups are exhibiting is a product of their environment or if it's actually an innate property of the colony and the individuals that are that are composing it. Um, and so what I what I do in this in this instance is I'm, I'm looking at the behavior of queens. Uh, in the lab in just like a very sterile, isolated in, uh, environment, um, raising them up, seeing if I can predict how their colony behaves just based on knowing the personality of the queen. And then also putting these queens back out in nature and seeing how they uh, how well their colonies survive and reproduce um, in the field. And then with the I work with social spiders as well. And so a lot of what I do with them is uh, looking at their personality traits, you know within in the lab in the sterile environment. And then adding stressors, such as environmental fear, that's one of the the main ones that I do, just to see how the environments can then uh, feedback and influence the collective personality of of the colonies. And and a lot of my studies have shown that um, the presence of fear uh, of of predators just in the area can actually erase, it can completely erase any traces of these personality differences between colonies. And so if you were to see a, a region where you don't have a lot of personality variation, well, that doesn't necessarily mean the personality isn't there. It's just it could be that there's uh, just a lot of predators in these environments as well. And so you need to take them back to the lab and you need to, um, you need to be able to study them in, in certain isolated situations.
0: Interesting. So there's there's a bit of a, a polarization mob mentality thing going on? Yeah. yeah. Almost. It, seems
1: like a, it seems a lot of people do either lab studies or field studies. Uh, and field studies are usually seen as sort of the gold standard because it's you know, you're know you taking in all the complexity of the environment. Uh, and I guess some of my research has suggested that, well, you know, if you're measuring them in the environment, then like, if, your, your starting point is going to be all over the place for these, these colonies. So you need to sort of have this combination of laboratory studies where you can you know, find out their behavior in a completely sterile environment where everyone's in the same conditions. Uh, and then, you know, place these things out in nature. To then experience the complexity and see how they respond, because if you're just doing everything in nature, uh, then you, you just don't know if, where the starting points are right. for any of these colonies. Need some kind of baseline. <laughs> yeah, basically. H-
0: have you noticed any any uh, interesting mirrors to human behavior that aren't that aren't like demonstrable, but that you get some kind of inkling as to like, oh, that. Kind of reminds yeah. me of what's going on over here in the crazy dumpster fire that we live in.
1: Yeah, and it's not even unique to human behavior where the comparisons come out, but it's again, um, it's pretty common thing we find in a lot of a lot of species. Where in the lab, we if we test these animals, um, we tend to see that one sort of behavioral type of a group tends to dominate. So in our spiders, we bring them in the lab. Um, well so one so in, in nature these colonies they're usually composed of like a heterogeneous mixture of like aggressive and docile individuals um, all in between um, and so this is this, this is how we find them in nature but when we bring them into the lab and we make artificial compositions of colonies so we'll, we'll make colonies that are 100 percent aggressive and colonies that have 100 percent docile individuals and we'll do all these mixtures in between and we'll put them through these trials and it looks like Almost without fail in the laboratory, the more aggressive the colony, the better they tend to do, which then kind of puts you up against a hard place because you're saying, well, why don't we see these really extremely aggressive behavioral compositions in nature? Um, And then so uh, some of my research showed that, well, you if you if you you only have one type of individual in this colony, uh, they tend to not be better at defending themselves against uh, these these predatory ants that tend to raid their colonies. So if the colonies that have a mixture of these individuals tend to, to do this type of behavior, where they make these like silken walls that like uh, prevent the, the advancement of these ants into their, into their nests. And for some reason, we don't know why it is, but the colonies that have a, a mixture of these docile and aggressive individuals or the bold and shy individuals tend to just have way more of these individuals, like twice as many of these defensive, uh, these individuals exhibiting this defensive behavior. And so you kind of need to take the environment into account uh, as well. So if, if you were just doing laboratory studies, you might wrongly think that, you know, we should see selection on pure colony aggressiveness, Where right. uh, whereas in nature, when you bring in the complexities of you know all the species interactions, you tend to realize that actually the mix tends to matter the most. And we see this in humans as well. And, uh, you know, in psychology experiments where they're looking at like team building and things like that in a, Um, in like a corporate context where you have mixtures of individual different personality types they tend to do better because they can kind of cover for the uh, the deficiencies of the other personalities tend not to have and um, cover blind spots and things like that so uh, it's a it's a a pretty common trend that you see in in the animal behavior literature and also linking humans
0: i dig it before we shift off of Arthropods and and such. What are some of your favorite facts? Because we have we have some some fun stuff to get into. I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> i I am in Arizona, as uh, I was telling you off air. We have all kinds out here. We have the big giant fire ant colonies, which are just fascinating to watch. And then we have an amazing array of wasps. Lots of paper wasps and the ground digger wasps, the tarantula hawks. And they're some of the weirdest, most fascinating creatures. Mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite things about them?
1: So I'd say some of my favorite things are in the paper wasps, for sure. They're It's enormously complex. They're used for uh, studying so many types of social interactions and dominance hierarchies and um, uh, and, and aggressive and colony behavior and things like that. Uh, Some of the coolest stuff, I think, that's coming out of the the paper wasp literature is just the, the facial recognition systems that these queens have and it's the way they kind of keep tabs on one another in the colony too uh, they can identify faces and their the types of facial patterns they have is actually correlated to how aggressive these individuals are and now we're even seeing this in the males too where they have these side blotches and you know the their their visual systems are able to identify these blotches so they, they keep track of individuals within their colony to a really high degree and they they know who's dominant and who's who's subordinate, and they sort of behave accordingly through time. Uh, there's also some of these really neat, uh, um, I guess they're called cuckoo paper wasp. It's a it's a type of paper wasp that doesn't make its own nest. It's just sort of evolved um, from the species that it now parasitizes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's this extremely large paper wasp, and it'll basically wait until all these colonies are. Uh, at a certain stage before the workers come out when they're like the most valuable to get because the workers will work for whoever, uh, whatever queen happens to be sitting on top of the nest when, once they emerge. Uh, and so you'll see a lot of paper wasps back and forth, trying to like battle other paper wasps for their nests. Um, and then you have this other weird parasitic species. that's just like a tank and it'll basically just challenge the Queens. Um, it'll, it'll kill them and then it'll sort of like bathe their bodies in the, the odors of of these uh of the queens they just killed to try to fool the offspring and the other subordinate foundresses that are on the nest it's sort of like the silence of the lambs thing where they're like you know trying to trying to make themselves as like uh as cryptic as possible and pass themselves off as like this queen that they just murdered and they take over the colony and then they, they use the labor there to you know to raise their own offspring so it's like this literal like slave labor that they're using it's just a bizarre system and it's it's just endlessly
0: cool oh yeah like fantasy writers (laughs) if you need an endless wellspring of crazy fucking inspiration study ants and wasps and bees and shit because it's nuts like when you look at um the the cuckoo wasps are those the blue ones are kind of metallic looking um
1: no those are usually solitary ones uh those the metallic ones are usually i think you're thinking of like the tarantula like hawk wasps or Mm. things like that um
0: there's a few different ones those are
1: usually yeah yeah those are usually the solitary the cuckoo ones they're they're actually um so there's there's other species that will like challenge the queens for their nests and that's just a very common thing but there's only i think this one species and it's in it's in italy that uh that actively like does not make its own nest at all and it just only parasitizes this one species uh like crazy so um yeah, and they're they're pretty cool looking.
0: What's the what's the the zombie mind control one where they actually isn't there some kind of parasitic yeah, species that does that where they go in and actually some kind using some kind of pheromone or biochemically brainwash the drones into like doing stuff for them? Am I? Yeah, I know that the there's pheromone? a lot
1: of there's a lot more of that in ants than in in wasps. Yeah. Although there is some evidence of um, sort of like a, a mind control in paper wasp as well. They have these certain um, mobs that actually um, parasitize these colonies. And there's been some some evidence that once they're infected in the colony, like it kind of modifies the colony's behavior uh, to, to further the agenda of the parasite, so against the host's best interests, um, which is one of the only examples of I think of, of not only just mind control, but of sort of mind control at the group level. So it modifies collective behavior of like an entire colony not just that of say an individual drone or something all
0: Right now see i when we when we started chatting i was like see we might even have to split this off and have this just be two <laughs> episodes because we could talk about yeah freaking bugs all day <laughs> yeah. no, they're, they're but awesome. uh yes this is the outrage machine uh and but this is actually i think this is helpful like to have both parts of it because there are parallels to draw and it's important to realize that you are an actual scientist who does this. Um, you know, part of existing in the Twitterverse is everything is so many characters. And if, if you can't mm-hmm. demonize somebody in the first five based off of, <laughs> you know, yeah. their pronouns, then it, it's, it Twitter's a cesspool. I absolutely fucking hate it. Uh, and, and we'll get <laughs> into that, you know, cancel culture in this whole, you know, everybody grab a pitchfork. If you don't, you know, fuck you. And, Mm -hmm. uh, in prepping for this conversation with you, I actually, first thing I saw this morning when I popped open my computer, um, was actually Kevin Fulta's podcast is on hiatus. He's an an outspoken science communicator, and he has been effectively. Is he getting, is he getting canceled? Sh- yeah, he's been effectively shut down by his university. No longer, and and this guy's work is so benign. I mean, compared to the kind of things that we're gonna be talking about, he's just talking about you know plants, okay, and like <laughs> how we can improve crops, and uh, a- apparently the people who who had complained to the university enough to get them to ask Kevin to stop doing his show. These are apparently friends of science. So this is not just a problem, <laughs> you know, among, yeah. among the crazy anti-science people. Uh, this, this kind of mob rule, you make one misstep, your career's over forever type of yeah. this whole phenomenon that we're seeing. So, how does your how did you find yourself in the middle of the outrage machine as an evolutionary biologist
1: it's kind of a weird weird trajectory um, so I guess a, a lot of it had just dated back several years um, let me let me back up a little bit more too so I guess in the in the early 2010s I guess the late 2000s early 2010s I had been pretty active I had my own blog and um, i had been pretty active in sort of the the new atheist movement uh to, to a very large degree it's actually sort of online debating with uh, young earth creationists and intelligent design people that actually was kind of what got me interested in uh becoming an evolutionary biologist in the first place like mm. i'd always i'd known about evolution and it was always pretty interesting to me but it was when i would hear you know some of these um these creationists or intelligent design people they were just clearly had an agenda and I would, I would constantly be going back online and getting it, looking it through a textbook or something. And I find myself just reading about evolution so I could sort of combat there, the way that they were uh, distorting the science. And then after a while, I sort of like, I actually really like this subject. And eventually I just sort of decided that I wanted to be an evolutionary biologist uh, for reals. <laughs> and so I, I entered, I went to undergraduate at UC Davis, then I transferred um, to UC Santa Barbara for grad school. And my, my outspokenness just on issues sort of, um, sort of went down and down. I, did, I, I, I would refrain more and more from, from speaking out, partially because, well, like the intelligent design stuff, that was no longer that relevant. It kind of uh, fizzled out for a while. Um, but then there was this more like social justice thing going on. And I, I considered myself sort of um, sympathetic to a lot of that, that stuff. I didn't really know a lot about it. I had some objections and I I realized the way that they kind of would shut down disagreement though. And so I I definitely had a lot of um, reservations about it and internal criticisms. And every time that I would sort of voice any type of criticism on Facebook or something, it would just blow up more than I've ever seen. And I'm just being called these names. And so I just sort of shied away. I just, I just shut down. I made sure like no one can search my, my Facebook and everything. I just cleaned my social media. I was no longer interacting with people. Um, and that really sort of started driving me nuts. I was just self-censoring all the time because I had a lot of uh, faculty at the universities that were following me on Facebook, and I didn't want to have it ruin my, my potential to get a job. Uh, then I eventually got a postdoc here at Penn State, and I moved out here all by myself. And so it was kind of a first time I was really t- uh, pretty isolated. And the isolation I felt even more so when I was uh, unable to speak out against these things. I, I saw people on my Facebook who were talking about not just, you know, gender being a social construct, where given some definitions of gender, it's like, OK, you can, you can kind of say that. Um, but they were going further and saying that biological sex isn't real and it's just a spectrum wow. and male and female don't even like they're not even correspond to real things They're just these arbitrary groupings that we're you know, like, like colors or something on a spectrum where like, well, where does red stop? And it will begin. And this, these were just insane. And whenever I'd, i again, I'd ask a little bit more information or criticize something and it would just blow up. And I, I just saw this as becoming a really big attack on, on biology and, uh, evolved sex differences in behavior and things like that. And it was really, I think the, um, the grievance studies scandal that, that happened with, you know, James Lindsay, Peter Bogosian. um, called Pluck Rose, where they they wrote those insane papers that got published in those good good journals. And that just sort of blew the lid off for me and I realized like this yeah you know, this this scholarship is terrible. It's it's actively eroding my field of evolutionary biology. And I felt just that I couldn't say anything about it though because I didn't want to risk my job.
0: Oh of um, course.
1: and and so I just I got to a point where I kind of reflected on well what's the reason I got into uh, science in the first place? Why did I want to become a professor? And all the reasons were sort of along the lines of, well, I want to be able to be intellectually fulfilled. I want to be able to ask questions and and bounce ideas off and just sort of be, be bold with ideas and, you know, not be an asshole, but just, you know, I want to put myself out there and, and bounce ideas off the wall and see what sticks. And I couldn't do that. And so I, I just got to a point where I said that I'd much rather um potentially sacrifice a career that I've been working for as long as I can speak my mind and, and do what I want. I didn't want to have to do that, that trade-off. I didn't want to have to sacrifice my ability to, to think freely and, and engage with ideas publicly and, you know, or be a, uh, an academic scientist. So I'm, I'm trying to do a hybrid s- situation here. Um, not sure how it's going to work out, but um, at least I, I've decided that I'm not going to... Um, I guess give up the ability to to be a free thinker and, and, and think publicly, well, um, and that's when that's yeah, and that's when I wrote my article for Colette first that kind of um, initially blew up and I guess made me um, somewhat known on on Twitter, and it just gone up from there.
0: Yeah, and that's that's so fundamental to academia is the free like free thought and the exchange of ideas. Like, what the fuck happened? When when did it? become not okay to do that anymore and why aren't more people speaking out against it because you see so many of these professors now um who are just being forced off of campus by these you know moms over the most benign things when you look at what happened at Yale when you look at what happened at Evergreen it's just it seems like this is too crazy. Right. That like, I get Trump's the president, but like, <laughs> this is like legit too crazy. Like we, th- this isn't sustainable, right? Like w- there's a self correction yeah. that, that has to come at some point because you know, and that, that really has been the only place that I've come down on these issues because you know, I, I'm gay myself. I've been a part of the community community of alphabet soup that continues to grow for, you know, (laughs) decades now. So I'm not, I'm not insensitive to gender, you know, identity issues. I've, I have trans friends. I know that, I know that sounds like the, I can't be racist. I have a black guy, Mm -hmm. you know, but like for real, I'm, I'm on that side of it, but some of the rhetoric that's coming out on, on gender specifically is outright homophobic. And that's how I even found out about it. Is I was accused of being, you know, this how I heard the word "turf" for the first time. It was called a "turf" because, Mm -hmm. you know, I I I was asked if I would, you know, include expand my dating pool to include, you know, trans men or something along those lines. And I'm like, well, no, I'm gay. This is, you know, like how being gay works. And of course, that made me a literal Nazi for for being gay and i was like wait this something's not adding up here when when did liberals get this crazy okay and i I know i'm using the word liberals derisively and i am one i'm a classic liberal i believe in you know (laughs) liberty Mm -hmm. and freedom of free of expression like what liberals really means but now we have these people who are are literally they're denying biology as bad as the creationists if not worse because they're posing or, or they're wrapping it in this you know veneer of of uh, first of all moral righteousness but then also academic righteousness as if this is this is like you know defensible to you know I was noticing some of the your um, tweets about getting into brains and stuff and how they talk about you know like the bio gender in the brain and all and, and uh, i see i knew this is going to be a minefield and i've, I've been very apprehensive about <laughs> tiptoeing into it but uh yeah man where w- what planet are we on <laughs> help me understand yeah, Do you have any better of a grasp on this than i do because i i feel so fucking lost yeah
1: no i mean i, I feel the same way to a large degree it's a lot of it's just the way the activism i guess speaks out against People who dissent um, and it puts professors in like a weird kind of precarious situation because um, being in academia is not like a lot of other jobs. So you go to, you go to undergrad for four years uh, to get your education and it's a, usually a fairly difficult degree to get in the sciences or, you know, it's notoriously difficult majors. Uh, then you go to grad school for anywhere between four and seven years to get your Ph.D., uh, and then, so you're now in over a decade of, of education, and then at least in a lot of the sciences, you're not going to be able to get a professor job right out of, uh, grad school. You're going to need to do a postdoc like I'm doing, and postdocs can last anywhere from one to four years or, or even more. And so we're looking at close to being, you know, between 10 and 15 years before you're even, uh, competitive for a professor position. Uh, and then once you're you are a professor, well then you have six years between you start and uh, and then when you get ten years, so we're now we're looking fifteen to, you know whatever how many years of before you can just, um, you know want to be able to speak your mind or something and 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 uh, of, of having to play it safe. So uh, and then if you are if you do have a job, it's not like if some other job where you can just like, oh, I'll just get a job at some other university. Like that's that's not how hiring at universities works. You need to do these big job searches. It's multiple rounds of interviews. It's, you know, a phone interview, then like a video interview, then a campus interview. And then when you're on campus, it's a full like two and a half day interview process. And you're giving seminars and chalk talks. And it's just, it's a huge process. And so there's just so many reasons why an academic would want to just portray this pristine uh, facade to the public because there's so many people that are competing for these jobs. That anything, if, if you just have any sort of red flag on your resume where they're like, oh, is this person going to cause a stink? Are they going uh, to, I mean, I don't, this, this other person, you know, they don't talk about these issues and their CV is like almost as good, like, well, this is the safe option. So it's, it's just, there's all kinds of reasons why an academic would much rather just not deal with it would just keep their head down and and just not touch these topics um now there's there's a lot of academics also who are just generally not interested in those topics they're they just you know they're they're super nerds they just want to study their bees and wasps and you know their um all the genetics of, of whatever animal the fruit flies they're working with and that's totally fine that's i think that's what they should be doing but then there's also these sort of new uh activist Individuals and grad students who are who are there, who are just sort of, you know, doing that whole outrage thing, and to a lot of scientists who are in the field who aren't paying close attention, they just sort of nod. They're like, okay, I'm I'm pretty left wing, and the left wing people are saying are saying this. There may not, I may, be, I might not understand what they're saying about gender and sex and the spectrum and all that stuff, but you know, they're okay. I'll just I'll just sort of acquiesce to those things, and because that's just more expedient for me as a scientist to keep doing what I'm doing. Then a subset of scientists like me and some others are looking at this and we're seeing that no, this could actually destroy the university, the types of ideas that they're that they're using, the, this denial of, of objective reality and distorting biology. Um, you mentioned the intelligent design movement and stuff, and like I actually would prefer it if intelligent design was sweeping through the sciences right. and biology. Uh, I prefer that over what's currently going on, which is just this denial that you can make any sort of claims about biology whatsoever. Um, and so, yeah, so then the, the, with the, with the, I guess the outcome of the fact that only a few individuals have even recognized the problem. Well, even a, a, sub, a smaller subset of those who have recognized it are willing to speak out about it. And then what that means is that those few individuals who do poke their heads above are the ones that are just going to get all the arrows all at once um, even though when, if you actually look, you know, pulled the population as a whole, most, most people understand that biological sex is not a social construct. It's a very real thing. Uh, but it's just, you know, there's, there's just so many incentives to keep your head down. Um, and especially when you see what happens to those who do, you know, who poke their head up, you know, they get, they get canceled pretty hard sometimes. And so, um, that's sort of the situation we're in. And so I guess, I guess what I'm trying to do and other people are trying to do is, is, I guess, um, speak out about these as articulately as we can, as we can and try to get people to, to realize the harm that these issues and these ideas are actually inflicting and showing that, you know, you can't keep your head down forever because they're gonna, it's going to come for you and it's going to potentially destroy the field that you're working for. And, uh, yeah, it's just something that we can't, we can't just ignore because ignoring it is the way it's gotten so bad in the first place. Oh,
0: sorry, <laughs> my mic turned down because my dog was barking. Yeah. No, I, I mean exactly. I, I, I've been picking up a few n- new shows here, and one of them is His Dark Materials. And uh, one of the themes in that is Scholastic Sanctuary. Can we fucking have that, please? Can we reclaim yeah. Scholastic Sanctuary as like a thing? Like, mm-hmm. no, you cannot do that here. No, you cannot bring a pitchfork to school. Like, mm-hmm. when did I? I don't. It's, it's mind boggling to me. And when you see some of the reasons that some of these people have been taken down, I'm like, well, it's good that I'm, I don't, I don't have a career to lose. You know, I don't, I'm not even beholden to advertisers. So if I say something on this show and somebody wants to cancel me, cancel, cancel my what? Oh, you want to talk to my supervisor? Uh, Let me turn around put on my manager hat. What the fuck do you want? I can (laughs) say whatever the fuck I want on my show. I, so yeah. I I have that freedom, but I'm also not like the most articulate person. So, but I have a platform, which is why I'm like, see, I need to talk about this on the show. And I've been wanting to talk about it on the show for months and months and months and months. And, but I know, of course, it's a minefield. You get mm-hmm. w- you, one tiny misstep, your career's over. Now, I don't have a career, so I'm <laughs> I'm a little like, mm-hmm. well, what? What do I got to lose? At the at the same time, I've I've seen how this how this goes when when you have the gall to simply say it, make a basic statement like, "On average, men are taller than women." I mean, that is absolutely anathema to <laughs> the uh, the gender dogma that's out there. Oh, you can't say that you're the, just the worst, and I'm just like, what? When did objective reality become? Like, so hostile. Everything is so hostile to just, like, really, really basic shit. And this, there's a lot of parallels, I see, um, to the kind of young Earth creation in terms of not only do they want the right to deny, you know, reality, but then they want privilege. They want the right to the rights of others. And this is something that occurred to me the other day when in kind of contemplating really, really what they're asking for in, in the bathroom debate, which I don't have a a dog in that fight. That is not a hill I'm going to die on. But when you try to understand Mm -hmm. really the full complexity and the nuances of what exactly, you know, that entails, it's if we, are changing, okay, I'm going to be, I have to be very careful here. Like anytime you bring up any one of these concerns, the number one response is, well, trans rights are human rights. And of course, yes, human rights. Absolutely. But in specifically in the bathroom conversation, well, women fought for, I'm going to say hundreds of thousands of years to be you know, freed from the yoke of oppression, you know, and that's still a fight that is, it's never ending, you know, we're still fighting to liberate the women of the world. So I don't think that any new rights are going to be earned by any, any group, let's, let's say, or, or protected, you know, however we want to define that no new rights are going to come at the cost of theirs. I mean, those were long, hard fought and won and and we should respect the women who want the right to maintain the protected spaces that you know have been there for them that they you know Mm -hmm. i mean it, it seems like people on on what i'm calling the left don't really seem to think about that part of it like the women part of it and i'm I'm like i understand the concerns of the trans community but i'm gonna fall like if i got a fallback position i'm defaulting to protecting women and women's spaces and and whether or not you agree like with these women if what their personal opinions are like you have to respect that's their rights those are the rights that they've earned you know to those protected spaces over over generations and generations and generations. And
1: yeah, I think I think one of the problems, though, is that the word "woman" itself is what's been hijacked in order to sort of yes demolish these these barriers that um you know we used to say "woman," that I, I now just use the word "female" because "woman" has just been uh it's been hijacked and you know it means wildly different things to different groups. Um, and so it's it's been this move from focusing on what I would call, you know, like sex segregated places based on, you know, your actual biological sex. So now we're just using this these gender segregated spaces, and you know the words man and woman are now referring to gender um, and not sex. And well, actually now they're referring to sex as well because you know there's, I guess they're saying that sex is a social construct too. Um, but it's really been that that um, vocabulary switch that they've done and you know if they can get you to say that well what's a woman well when we talk about you know the WNBA or something like that like it's the Women's National Basketball Association right. well that is clearly made and every other women's sports league has been made because males and females are are different not because people who identify as males and people who identify as females are different like there's nothing inherent into like the way people identify that would make them better or worse at sports in the same way that, you know, being a male or female does. So it's, it's this vocabulary uh, hijacking of, of these terms that is now being used to sort of um, give access of, to males to, to female spaces and completely abolish these, these sex-based rights that, as you mentioned, have been fought so hard for by, um, you know, feminist groups. Uh, i guess the, the second wave old school feminism that i you know am, i'm happy to get behind um which is different now than this new sort of intersectional um liberal feminism that we're seeing that i would say is is not liberal uh,
0: no i wouldn't the even actual meaning of the word <laughs> i wouldn't even describe it as uh feminism from the few of from the handful that i've come across of these uh, intersectional feminists online I, I, I am, because I am a, a, uh, cisgendered white male, not allowed to have any opinions or, or, or even exist. I, sh- I shouldn't exist as a class of, as people because, you know, my, my people have been so oppressive. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it, and it's, th- these are, these are mis, misandrists, misandrists. These are not, these are not feminists, um. Cause I'm classic feminist ideals. Absolutely. Like women's rights. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there, there is a spot where it goes too far. And I, I think that more people need to be willing to draw that fucking line in the sand and say, you know what? No, that is too far.
1: Yeah. And there, there are like differences of, of nuance too, in certain situations. So they, a lot of these activists try to like boil everything down to the same, like they'll, they'll talk about, you know, bathroom bills in the same context, they'll talk about, uh, you know, like, um, desegregating sports and things like that, where these are, these are completely different situations. I mean, they're, they're related in the sense that we don't want, you know, that there are still like sex segregated spaces, but there's just different concerns, you know, some are have to do with, you know, safety concerns women might have of having, um, male body people into the, into their bathrooms or into their, their shelters, you know, that have been set up for women or, you know, women getting, or males get access now to to um, scholarships that have been set aside for females. Uh, and then there's, it's the whole sports thing, which is grounded in differences in just like fundamental biology. So there's, they're, they're kind of related, but there's, there's nuance to be had in each of them. And I don't think any, any one rule is going to apply across the board. Like I, there are some places where I can give it, I would give exception, uh, sorry, uh, give an exemption for. You know, for biologically male individuals to be in women's restrooms or something like that. You know, m- maybe not all situations, but I think there can be some nuance in those situations where I'm I'm less open to nuance in things like, you know, should we allow males to be powerlifting again in, in female divisions? Like those are those are wildly different and they require different levels of nuance. But this uh, the 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 whole trans activist they sort of want to distill it all into one. One big issue, and just you know, yell trans women are women, and then, yeah, full stop. Exactly, you, know, you can't nu- you argue <laughs> with that, then, yeah,
0: you know, you're a cancer. N- nuance is dead if it doesn't fit on a poster board, uh, yeah. you know, then you're a Nazi, and that's actually how uh, you and I bumped into each other because um, JK Rowling had the audacity to. Uh, oust herself as a white supremacist neo Nazi and Ayanna <laughs> Ursi Ali yeah. had, you know, thanked her for defending women. And I think, in turn, thanked Ayan. And here you come around liking my tweet. I was like, holy shit, that's Colin Wright. I'm like, you got to come on my show. You're like, okay. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's crazy. I love it. That's, you know, Twitter, I've, Twitter's I've, a crazy I cesspool. A of,
1: it's, yeah, I made a lot of good contact with people on this website. It's uh, for
0: sure. It's a trip, man. So,
1: yeah. so you know, I was, <laughs> uh, sorry, I was, I was looking at my, so my, my first article, like the new evolution deniers, I was, I was looking at when I first posted that on Twitter, you know, a little over a year ago now. And if you I was looking at just the comments to the article and there's so many people that are saying like, oh, Colin, he, he conflated sex and gender throughout, like, you know, no one's actually denying the reality of biological sex. What's this guy talking about? And then, we I mean, you know, fast forward a year now and we get J.K. Rowling talking about you know people denying sex. We have court rulings that, you know, sex is mutable and it just is, is gone out of control. And so I like to go back and look at those comments and just sort of. And I wasn't even the first one. There's people that were talking about it before I was. But I just I kind of like looking back on it and just saying, like, I told you so. <laughs> it's gotten so much worse uh, I thought that was gonna be I thought we were at the uh, sort of a peak when I wrote that, but it's it's just spiraling out of control now and so i, I want to speak out more about it, but it's even more volatile than it's ever been. so oh, absolutely.
0: I mean people yeah. thought I was crazy too when i when I was bringing um this up particularly the things happening um in the u k actual women being attacked by males um over over just basic women's rights you know statements um looking at all like devolving into literal violence um Mm -hmm. and and of course you know this new wing of the alphabet soup that likes to say that gays and lesbians are evil for being gays and lesbians because they don't include trans people in their dating pool because oh well trans men are men and trans women are women and if you don't you know then you must not think they're a real, you know, it's kind of like this no true Scotsman bullshit where it's just like, it is more nuanced than that. You don't, you don't, I don't owe you access to my dating pool based on how you identify. And the fact that you can't hear that, that literally sounds like conversion therapy rhetoric Uh and promulgates rape culture. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. If you cannot hear That when you say you deserve access to my dating pool based on how you identify, if you can't hear that, I don't know what else to say to you. That is an insane thing to say. Nobody deserves the right to sex. I'm sorry. You sound like an insult. Like literally they say the exact same shit and they don't hear it. And it's like, where are the rational voices in the room? They're all getting shut up, you know? So it, yes. that's why I'm thankful that a I have this platform. I don't have a job to lose, so I can say whatever the fuck I want. Obviously, you have a little bit more to lose, so I, <laughs> you know I respect your um <laughs> uh, what what am I call it? I'm losing my words here now because this is just such a frustrating and flustering topic to mm-hmm. even to even think about, uh, much less unpack. Which is why it's taken me so long to even open up this particular can of worms
1: yeah i I think a lot of it boils down to just like the ideology surrounding just gender identity because i I don't know if you've been aware of the so i I know that there have been a lot of people that say that gay men should open their dating pools to uh you know to trans men um which you know goes against everything we know scientifically about human sexualities you know we're not attracted to to people's gender identities because an identity is something that's you can't observe it's it's a proper it's a, it's a brain state you can't this is you can't identify as someone as republican or democrat you know unless they're wearing like a maga hat or something and i guess you could make a good inference but um for gender identities it's not it's not not anything that you can you can identify And there's this push now to redefine what homosexuality is as not being attracted to the same sex but being attracted to the same gender identity and i came a, a, a across some activists who were who were saying this, and I pushed back and said no, and then we got onto the topic of, uh, I think it was Scarlett Johansson, and they, they, they mentioned something about, like, if Scarlett Johansson identified as a man, and I, I told them that, well, if, if Scarlett Johansson had identified, like, if she tomorrow just woke up and announced to the world that she now identifies as a man, all else being equal, you know, didn't change the way she looked or anything like that, I told this person that I would still find Scarlett Johansson attractive, and then they use that to then tell me that, like, oh well, I'm I'm a at least bisexual now because I would consider, you know, I'm finding Scarlett Johansson a man attractive, and <laughs> so this this is just completely insane because you know I'm obviously the the reason I'm attracted to Scarlett Johansson is because she's an attractive female to my mind. It has nothing to do with with your with how she identifies in her mind. Uh, so that's how they're sort of trying to rephrase this, this debate and just um, redefine all these terms and, and take over the, the LGB part of the you know LGBT plus movement. And um, there's, there's some been really good articles out recently that have argued for a split between the LGBs and the T's and the Q's and everything else, because um the the lg and bs don't require an ideology it just requires individuals to uh be attracted and to have society think that it's okay to be attracted to either the same or the opposite sex or both like that's there's no ideology involved in there there's no pill you have to really swallow besides just like accept people's preferences and the adults they find attractive uh Whereas the trans and the, and the queues and every, the, the queer community and all the non-binary people, these require quite a large ideological pill to be swallowed. Um, which I think is rightfully why a lot of the um, le- lesbian gays, bisexuals just want nothing to do with this part of the group and the way they're, they're kind of holding them back in are You know, they they really have nothing in common except for the fact that they have received certain levels of discrimination. Um, in, in the past
0: and, and still do today. All right. It, it totally is a hostile takeover and it's not just, <laughs> it's not just with trans activists. You, you see this, um, kind of pockets within the LGBTQ plus, um, uh, community almost like looking for special victim status, say, so that this was something that I, I brought up a couple years ago, uh, and regretted, but adding black and brown to the, to the pride flag, for example. Okay. Which Mm -hmm. in in spirit is, is meant as a good thing, but at the same time, it's also divisive because the whole point of the rainbow is that it's all encompassing. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. like you, you don't get your own color. That's not how this works. The rainbow is all of us. That's what it's supposed to represent. So there is this kind of, special victimhood, you know, this has been repeatedly referred to as the, the victimology Olympics. And it kind of very much does feel like that. Who's a bigger victim today. And a lot of the the key players on the field don't even appear to be playing for their own team. They're offended on behalf of other people. Oh, you know, how dare you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and the, insidiousness of of that part of the lgbt community turning on itself and saying no you're wrong for being gay no you're wrong for being lesbian i'm like whoa whoa we were supposed to be standing under the same flag what the hell is happening and Mm -hmm. then on the opposite side you know like with the um you know it's just like oh you know this this is this pride parade is run by you know white males therefore it's you know, it's just bigoted and, and, and racially. Just, do, do we always have to go there? Is there, you know, yeah. be like just simple explanations for stuff? Can gay people just not be gay? Can we not just let lesbians be lesbians? And it's, so much of the bullshit around what is now gender politics is so polar opposite from, like, remember, like 20 years ago, the woke position was to go into the toy aisle and say, no, like boys can play with Barbies. Girls can play with trucks. Mm -hmm. Like that was the woke liberal position to take. Like, no, let's get, let's get away from gender stereotypes. They're harmful, Mm -hmm. you know? And now it seems to be like, no, if you don't conform to the gender stereotypes, you are like literally the worst. And you, this is how you get people with, you know, kids who are playing with their gender expression at, you know, uh, that age when they tend to do that, eight, 10, 11, 12, you know, like right in that. And then the, the ideology that's sunk into the parents' head says, Oh, well this, this kid must be trans, you know, and then they radically alter that kid's life forever just because they were playing around with, you know, gender expression. If we had a healthy grasp, <laughs> you know, if we had it culturally, if we, it was a healthy thing, you know, for for people to play around with their gender, which is what we were fighting for, you know, decades ago and not yeah. have to conform to this boys or blue girls or pink bullshit, which I think is the truly liberal answer. And now it's just completely fucking backwards where it's just like, no, all that matters is the label. All that matters is the identity. You know, you, what color flag are you waving you know it it seems yeah. so backwards to me i i really i really don't get it honestly yeah I,
1: I think it started in a place that i i could have agreed with them on and that's looking at those pink and blue boxes and looking at the way that society sort of enforces certain certain norms of behavior on people based on their sex um i think i mean most of us have have experienced this i remember just, you know, myself growing up and just looking at how, you know, teenage boys and, you know, right before teenage, uh, being teenaged, you know, if there's just a lot of social policing going on among friend circles. And if you're an effeminate male, um, yeah, your, your friends are gonna just, they're gonna call you gay, they're gonna question your, your, your masculinity, your, your manhood. And that, you know, that definitely affects people. And so I think, the, the the sentiment that originally started out was that you know these we need to get rid of these blue and, and pink boxes and um, realize that the, the social enforcement is not a good thing we should let people you know we should let women be um, more masculine than you know than or, or basically just exhibit the masculinity that they they have innate in them already let males you know ex- expand our concept of what it means to be a male and a female or a man and a woman to encompass a wide spectrum of masculinity and, and femininity. And that's something I, you know, I can totally get behind just like let people do what they want to do. Like you're still going to have innate sex differences in behavior and preferences. Um, but as long as we're not, there's no, there's no people getting barred from certain areas in society because there just happen to be a female that is exhibiting more masculine traits and vice versa, then that's okay. We'll just let, let, People naturally migrate to what they want to do. And what we've kind of done now, though, is instead of people saying that the blue and pink boxes need to be uh, abolished, now what people are saying is like, no, there's not just two genders. There's you know three. There's four. There's ten. There's twenty. There's a hundred. They're just they're making more and more boxes that they're identifying with, um, which are basically all. All I can see is that they're they're basically just. Constellations of preferences and personality traits um, that people have, and they're just giving them new names and new identities. And to me, I just, I just want to move away from the I, the whole conversation surrounding gender identity in the first place, oh. and just have and just allow people to say, you know, you are, you are your individual. You are who you are. You don't need to like find out what box that you go into. Like, no box is ever going to fully correspond to the complexities of your personality and your preferences and sexuality like if you're a male that's fine if you're a female that's fine do just be yourself when you because when you keep expanding these these gender identities there you know there's there's probably five more gender identities that have, have have popped up just during this conversation uh you realize that the only End point is the fact that there are gonna be what, like seven and a half billion gender identities that correspond to just every unique individual on the planet. And I think that's the way it needs to be. We need to just stop making more boxes and obliterate the boxes altogether and just accept people for for who they are, because nobody is actually part of the binary. No one is a perfect uh, stereotype of their sex. You know, there's some people who are more stereotypically masculine or feminine, but you know everyone in a sense is non binary to some degree if we're defining the binary by ascribing to um, these socially imposed roles uh, of, of masculine and femininity. So that's that's the direction we need to go is getting rid of the boxes completely and not just creating more and more boxes. Yeah,
0: no, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. I think we need to get back to that. Just let people be who they are, judge them by the content of their character and not based on which victim card they're playing, you know, to try and work up the oppression ladder. It's, it's, and it sounds insensitive, you know, uh, but it, that's really, I think, where all this ultimately falls for me is that, like, we have to be willing to draw a line somewhere. Um. And stand behind it, and you know, fucking yeah. come what may, you know, like, like I've been saying, this is an unsustainable model. We have to just, I guess, be willing to hold the line and hope that this insanity just kind of calms itself, uh, to at least some kind of rational, compromised center at some point. Um, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of. Hope of that at the moment, but I am starting to see more people within the trans community speak out against this, which I really, I think, is important because we don't need, you know, cisgendered white males from the outside, you know, criticizing, criticizing people's ideology. I think it's going to be helpful to have people who, who live it and understand it and understand both sides, who are also being, you know coming to the table and saying, well, yeah, you know, like there are inescapable facts of the universe, you know, <laughs> biology being fairly immutable is one of them. Uh, and it's a much healthier stance, I think to say that, yes, I, 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 was born this way. This is how I am now. Than to just say, no, uh, I, I am, you know, by, I can, I can identify my way into a biological state <laughs> and I'm like, it, that, yeah. it, <laughs> it's, not it's, it's a leap too far. You can't identify as, you know, and it, it, it's, you get the sentiment when they say trans women are women. And and my response to that wants to be, well, no, trans women are women, women are women. It, this is why we have language. This is why we have words to distinguish things from one another. When we try to redefine the word, like coming together and all agreeing on what words mean in the first place is a fucking challenge, you know, and just kind of getting yeah. everybody on the same page. And then you, when you try to flip the script at the 11th hour and everybody's been operating off of the same dictionary for 200 years and you want to, just go in with a black Sharpie uh, like Trump and say, no, actually the hurricanes act over here. Actually, no, this is what it means, mm-hmm. you know, to be biologically male or female. That's the part really that we're not okay with. And I think that that is, that needs to be clear. It's like that. The rest of it, it's like identify however you want. And this is JK made this point. It's just like identify however you want. Use whatever bathroom you want. She's being very sensitive about it. But just don't don't stand on a podium and deny biological reality and expect to be taken seriously. Um, There's no amount of oppression points that you can put on your card that's going to give you the privilege to not be criticized for saying insane shit (laughs) telling gay people that they're bigots for not fucking women is crazy shit you know telling women that they're that they're evil for not wanting to share a bathroom with biological males that's that's crazy town i yeah see i'm getting heated again i need to (laughs) <laughs> yeah
1: I, I try to stay I, I stay a lot more on the uh trying to defend the reality of biological sex side of things because i feel like that's just an area you know I'm, I'm not a developmental biologist but i'm and i am a biologist and i understand what biological sex means so that's sort of where i've decided to just speak up mostly about this whole situation because uh, i guess in, in my mind that if, if you can deny the reality of of biological sex, then there's just no limit on what can be, you know, completely denied. Uh, it's one of the most fundamental realities that we have in humans. You know, 99.98% of everyone who's born is unambiguously male or female. Uh, yeah, there's, some, there's some exceptions where there might be some sex ambiguity in these very small margins, one out of every 5,000 births. But that doesn't negate the fact that most people are clearly one or the other sex, you know, there's this, this notion, too, that there's a sex spectrum is also extremely toxic because that then says, like, okay, like, you know, me and an effeminate male, like, okay, which one of us is more male? Like, am I more male because I have a, a, a thicker beard than this person because I have more masculine uh, preferences than this more effeminate male? Like, it, it, it puts people in that relationship where, like, the playground bully was was where they would question how manly you are or you know your 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 malehood based on the fact that you're you know exhibiting sort an effeminate behavior so that's just saying that like maybe you are less of a male than me because you have these features that are you know not stereotypically masculine so it's just it's just this this crazy ideology has taken over with the reality of biological sex and i'm i'm just amazed too at how many biologists are not even willing to say that most basic truth about biological sex like if we live in a time in 2020 where there are biologists who are hesitant to just send out a tweet saying male and female are real categories that are immutable like that that's one of the least controversial things i can imagine saying as a biologist and the fact that you can't get people to say that is just shocking to me so that's of course that's the one thing i want to say more than anything now (laughs) because until until that's that point is taken then it needs to be it needs to be said
0: well it certainly does and that's why i'm thankful that i have this platform to do it we need to get these rational voices out there and I'm, i'm excited to continue uh going down this rabbit hole uh obviously very nervous if we pissed you off listener at any point during this conversation. That was not Mm -hmm. the goal. The goal is to get you to think a little bit harder about what the implications of what you're saying are. Um, If, if you're one of the people who espouses these kinds of ideology, uh, you're reinforced by, by your mob to think that you're on the side of righteousness. uh, (laughs) And that sounds condescending, but think really take, take what you're saying to the logical conclusion. Because a lot of them are extreme. Get rid of all white men is a pretty extreme position to land on if you follow, you know, if you follow the breadcrumbs down that particular narrative mm-hmm. that's being told. Um, and it's the same thing if, if you're going to demonize all gays and lesbians for their sexuality i mean, it, it, it's the same kind of thing and they and, and if you phrase it in there if you bounce it back at them like that and you say well like and they go oh no no that's not what we're doing at all we want to be open and loving and accepting and i'm like well except you're not yeah. except you're not they, they have this there's this black mirror thing going on i assume that's a a reference I never saw the show but from the cultural references I've seen mm-hmm. it like weird fucked up backwards world this feels like a weird fucked up mirror dimension where they don't they don't really see what they're saying almost like a this is a weird episode of the twilight zone so I think just the the first thing that we can do is hold up the mirror and I'm gonna, I'm going to try my best to do that in a way that d- like I'm bad at this. <laughs> I, I'm very bad at approaching this academically <laughs> because I I have been personally attacked on numerous occasions. I've had to burn accounts over this, um, because you know I've I've seen it firsthand. I've I've heard these people tell me firsthand that AI shouldn't exist. I should be wiped off the face of the earth. You know, all this. And then when we bring when we bring these conversations into the real world, people think, "Oh no, it's, that doesn't happen. That's too crazy." Uh, no, guys, it it really is happening. Yeah. So that just bringing awareness to this issue and getting people to, I think, just think a little bit harder about it before automatically grabbing a pitchfork. It, that's really the goal of this whole series, and um, it's it's going to span everything. So I, I don't know why I started with <laughs> trans issues. I guess I have a death wish. Um, But, you know, we're going to move on to vaccines and and, uh, agricultural biotech and, you know, social media and all of this. But this is this is a fantastic kickoff (laughs) to the uh, to the series. Um, Colin, did you have any any final thoughts or closing (laughs) cosmic wisdom to uh, leave people with?
1: I mean, just do your best to stand up for what you can see with your your own eyes out there, I guess. And the the biggest problem that we have right now is people not not being willing to speak up. And obviously, there's things you need to take in consideration before you do so. Um, you know, like I wouldn't be able to do, I probably wouldn't be speaking up if I, you know, had a, a family to support and I, you know, my job was dependent on on what I'm doing. But if if you think you can lend a voice to of agreement to some of these issues that just you know view best to, to just be bold and speak up about these because we're basically the silent majority that could could storm the castle if enough people just realized how many of us are out there.
0: Oh yeah. There, there's a total disproportional thing going on to where the, the minority is very, very, very loud. Um, exactly. but you know, they discovered if they're loud enough, they'll get what they want. And we just can't let that kind of mob rule fly. It's illiberal, it's undemocratic, it's, it's backwards, honestly. So yeah. no, man, I'm right, I'm right there with you. And again, thank you so much for taking the time today to, uh, start to unpack this with me. i I'm, I'm, it's going to be a long, uh, adventure here in 2020 starting to dig into some of this stuff and yeah. i was very nervous about this one so thank you for making it fairly easy for me you're a fantastic <laughs> no guest.
1: thank you so much i appreciate it
0: uh and you have you were mentioned the other day you have a uh piece that was coming out i i checked your twitter i didn't see that you had a piece coming out yeah. um washington post or wall street journal or yeah
1: there is an article that's going to be coming out in the wall street journal. It was originally supposed to be posted on this last Monday, but all the Iran and, and impeachment stuff has been crowding it out. Uh, they haven't, they've, they've yet to give me an updated time of when it's going to be posted. Um, I don't know if they will give me an update. So it could just be, it could be there now. I have no idea. Um, so I'm just checking every day, but it's, it's definitely on this, these issues. It's on, um, basically how the denial of biological sex is harmful towards, uh, a lot of the groups that we talked about here today, such as, you know, biological females, the homosexual community, and something we didn't talk too much about on but uh, today, but um, is maybe one of the more important things is, is how sex denialism is, is influencing um, and harming children in this in, in this whole thing. So just um, keep your eye out for that article. Uh, if you're following me on Twitter, then I can, you know, I'll, I'll definitely post it the second it goes live
0: absolutely i will be staying tuned for that i would love to read it uh and to keep to follow your work you're at swipe right on twitter is that correct w-r-i-g-h-t yep and are there any other plugs that you want to get out there anything else you're working on or anything else you want to direct people towards
1: not at the moment no (laughs) that's about it
0: cool man Well, I look forward to round two. This was awesome. Thanks again for uh, hanging out Just let me
1: know. (laughs) No problem. Take care.
0: Small addendum. (laughs) Uh, I recorded this a while back, um, preloaded a bunch of stuff for season two because I know that it was going to be big and I wanted to release a bunch of stuff at once. So uh, this conversation didn't age terribly well. Uh, on one specific point, I'm pleased to say that Kevin Fulter's podcast is up, it's back, it's running, it's good. Um, that was kind of something that I was responding to in the moment, seeing, you know, the tweets of, you know, this news of there being this pressure to have to shut down his show and it no longer being a thing, which fucking pissed me off. I'll, I'll be honest. And I'll, I'll be even more honest. I had a separate rant about it. Um. That I had to delete because it really fucking pissed me off (laughs) Um, so Kevin thank you Uh, uh, congratulations I'm glad you're back I fucking love I'm so happy Talking Biotech is continuing on it needs uh, the world absolutely needs it Um, so that was just my small little add on note at the end that now if we're good both is good Uh, yeah Like this episode and kind of get what I'm trying to do and want to help make it happen, number one thing you can do is share. Try to get the conversation out there. Of course, if you appreciate the work and you want to help support it, head to mindwave.media, become a friend of the show, get this stuff out there because uh, we all know the market for it is huge and the people willing to actually do it is apparently very small, so i'd like to change that you can help me <laughs> uh give us a follow on twitter at mindwave podcast that's gonna be a new thing it just fits right in there it's perfect it's beautiful i love it thank you for listening uh and we will talk to you soon it's gonna be a dead fucking adventure man Wave podcast is produced by studio stargazer copyright 2020 all rights reserved